0: standing on the platform of truth pioneer health and missions repentance is almost the gospel it's an important part of the gospel just as important as understanding the love of God it's just as important as understanding grace and sin. And today I want us to look at what repentance is and how it comes to us. Those of you who have your Bibles handy, we're going to be using them today. And as we begin, I want to look at the word itself, because Often when we think of words, words convey a meaning to our mind when we hear them. When we think, or when you think of repentance, what do you think of? What comes to your mind? Sorrow. Sorrow. What's that? Turn Turn around, okay. I know for myself, the first thing that always came to my mind was sorrow. When I thought of repentance... The picture of sorrow always came to my mind. Not necessarily guilt, but sorrow. And the word conveys that. The actual word that we use in English, repentance, comes to us from the Latin word for to sorrow again. Or to feel sorrow, genuine grief over something. And usually over something that was done in the past that has come to mind. It's a grief of mind. We, uh, in the original Latin trans- translation of the, the New Testament, it's penitence. And how many here are familiar with the word penitence? Penitence comes from the Latin word for pain, where we get pain from. And repentance actually comes from the same root. So it deals with pain, but not physical pain, but with emotional pain, grief, sorrow. And the Greek word is like unto it. But if I were to properly translate it into an English equivalent, it would mean an afterthought. Now, when we think of afterthought, we generally think of something that is too late, right? It's after the fact. Something that comes after an event. Something has happened and we get an afterthought, but it's too late, really, to affect that event, right? So we call it an afterthought. But repentance in our New Testament comes to us from this word. It's an afterthought. It's grief or pain that comes to us. And I want us to look at what the Word of God has to say regarding repentance, that we can better understand what kind of afterthought it is, what kind of sorrow it is, and what is behind the sorrow. Why is it sorrow? I want to begin with a statement This is taken from an article written in 1901 from the Review and Herald. In this article, and the sixth paragraph of that article, the author says, Repentance toward God is sorrow for sin, the transgression of the law of God. You have here almost essentially a definition. Repentance toward God is what? Sorrow for sin. It's when we have grief, ...over what we have done. It's it's that afterthought that comes to us. We've done something wrong. We've sinned against God's law. We've transgressed it. And that afterthought is what is called repentance. But there's much more to it. Note also... Now this is taken from an article, that same uh, periodical, about 11 years before. The same author tells us that there is no salvation... Without repentance. Now, does that seem like a strong statement? Some of us might say maybe it's a bit too strong. Is it true that there can be no salvation without repentance? Notice what Jesus said. Luke 13, same statement in verses 3 and 5. I tell you, said Jesus, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to God's people of his day, the Jews. And he, he was giving them an account of how certain men had perished under the persecution. He said, do you think that they were especially cursed of God because they suffered this? He says, no, but I tell you, except ye repent, ye will likewise perish as they did. So essentially what he's saying is that without repentance, we're lost. If we don't repent, we too will perish. Now, the word perish there doesn't simply mean to die. It's talking about destruction. It's talking about the the destruction that comes by the judgment of God. We will perish in that sense. So is is repentance important? Absolutely. It has to do with our salvation. It's an integral part of the gospel itself. Here's another thing we can learn about repentance. This is taken from the book of Acts, chapter five, verse thirty-one. Notice what Luke writes. Acts five thirty-one. There the word of God says, Him speaking of Jesus, hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior? For to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Here it's speaking of the Lord Jesus and it says God had highly exalted him to be a prince and a savior to do what? To give repentance unto Israel. Did you know that repentance is a gift? It's not something that abides in our hearts. It's not something we have naturally. It's a gift given to us by God. In fact, it comes to us from the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Prince and Savior. To him it was given to give to us repentance. And not only repentance, but what came with repentance? Forgiveness of sins. You see how they're tied in? Forgiveness is tied in with repentance. Before there can be forgiveness, there must also be repentance. So not only is repentance a gift, but notice what in the same book, chapter 26 and verse 20, the word of God tells us. It says that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Now how many here have thought a little bit about that word meet? I highlighted it there. What does it mean? In accordance with, very good. Equivalent, we could say. Appropriate to. Eve was made a help meet for Adam. Now, help meet is used as one word, but literally she was to be a help meet or fit for him. None of the animals were found fit to be a help for Adam. So God made Eve to be a help fit or meet for him. And we are told that repentance has works that are fit for repentance. There are works that are meet or appropriate, that show forth, as it were. They're in accord with repentance. So repentance is a gift, and repentance has works or fruits that we bear. If you don't believe me, read Matthew 3, verses 3 and 8, I believe it is. There Jesus says, Bring forth fruits. Meet for repentance, or worthy, as the original reads, worthy of repentance. So number one, repentance is a gift that comes to us from God. And this gift has fruit. It bears evidence. It's an outward sign, our works. What we do are an outward sign of an inward transformation, what we call repentance. It bears fruit in the life. And that fruit is the evidence of something that has taken place in the heart. We call it redemption. We call it salvation. Notice this statement also. This is taken from the Gospel of Mark, 1st chapter, 4th verse. Not long after Mark opens his Gospel, he says, speaking of John the Baptist, John did baptize in the wilderness. And preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, baptism, the baptism of John was specifically a baptism of what? Was it a baptism, an induction into the church ranks? Was it a membership into the church? No. It was repentance. And this is an aspect of baptism that is almost totally neglected in our day. Baptism wasn't something that gave us merely entrance into the church. Baptism was a confirmation of something that had transpired in the heart. Paul, in Romans, speaking of Abraham, and comparing baptism with circumcision, he said, Abraham was was accounted a friend of God or had righteousness being uncircumcised, right? Circumcision was merely the sign of the faith which he had being yet uncircumcised. So baptism is the outward sign of something that has already happened in a person's heart called repentance. And John's baptism was specifically a baptism of repentance. But Jesus' baptism. Included repentance, but it was more than just repentance, wasn't it? Because with that repentance came the promise of the Holy Spirit. He said he baptized with water and with fire. Christ's baptism was a baptism of repentance, but it was also a rebirth. He gave the Spirit to work in the heart and life, to continue that good work which had been begun in us. Of which baptism was the sign. So we see number one, that baptism is a gift. Number two, baptism has works, fruits, we might say. And number three, or did I say baptism? Repentance has works. Let me restate that. And number three, baptism is tied in with repentance. Baptism is an evidence, we might say, of repentance. So I want to take a look at a couple of statements that are made by the same author that wrote in that Review and Herald article. The first one is found in a letter written 1896. There she says, Never forget that thoughts work out actions. Repeated actions form habits. Habits form character. So we might call this the process of character building. This is how character is built. According to inspiration, we are told that thoughts work out what? Actions. We all know this, don't we? We do what's on our mind. What we're thinking is what we do. And if we repeat those actions, we form what? Habit. This is how we survive in the daily world. We don't have to think about brushing our teeth. We don't have to actively think about putting food in our mouth. We've habituated ourselves to it so that it comes without thought. We've formed habits by repeated action. And if those habits are continued in, they form character. Now, you can have good character and you can have bad character. By doing bad things, we form bad character. By doing good things, we form good character. But notice what is said about character. This is taken from the book... Christ Object Lessons, page 356, the same author says, And by the character, our destiny for time and eternity is decided. Now, that's a profound statement. What determines our destiny in this world and in the world to come? Our character, our thoughts. Now, repentance has to do with thoughts, you see. And I want to share with us, I want to share with all of you today, the role repentance plays and how repentance forms character. Because repentance is a thought process that goes on in the mind. Remember how we defined it in the beginning? That repentance was an afterthought, right? And how we act upon that thought will determine our actions, and our actions will form habits. And those habits will form character. And if that character is wrought according to the repentance, the working of the Holy Spirit in the heart, it will determine our destiny for heaven. Likewise, if we reject the working of the Holy Spirit in our heart, it will produce character as well. But that character will fit us for destruction rather than salvation. So you can see, begin to see how important repentance is. That it is a part of the foundation of salvation. Notice this statement from Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 12, verse 2. Paul is here explaining what we call the process of repentance. And notice how he explains it. First, he admonishes by saying, and be not conformed. To this world. But now comes the contrast be ye transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. That is what we call repentance. Repentance is the renewing of the mind. And the renewing of the mind is is for a reason. Why? Is our mind to be renewed? That, or in order that, ye may prove. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? God is giving evidence of his good will and purpose, of what is acceptable to him, and we are that evidence. As God's Spirit works in our heart, repentance and transformation of, of mind and heart, we prove to ourselves, we prove to the world, and we prove to the onlooking universe. God's will, that which is acceptable to him. We are the evidence, you see. And it's repentance that gives that evidence. Repentance is the transforming of the mind. It's that afterthought, if you will. Now, the word repentance, the verb, literally means to think again. As I mentioned, afterthought. God wants us to think again. Again, and more importantly, to change the way we think. That's what the renewing of the mind is all about. It's about building a character developed around a way of thinking. We'll see more of this momentarily. Notice the, what the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah wrote in chapter 13 and verse 23. He begins by asking a question. Now, this question is really the Lord speaking. And he asks a question that all of us should think about. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? What's the answer? No. no. Can you change the color of your skin, the color of your eyes, the color of your hair? Well, <laughs> we can, but we temporarily but we can't really, can we? We can't change the color of skin we were given at birth. We can't change our eyes. The leper cannot change his spots, nor the Ethiopian his skin. Now notice the lesson that the Lord gives in relation to this. Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. Now that word accustomed is the Hebrew word for learned. We learn, right? We see something, right? We think about it, we do it, we repeat it. That's learning. That's how we learn. You want a definition of learning? Repetition. You learn to speak by repeating. You learn to do certain things by repetition. How is it that we, or I should say, how is it characters formed? By learning. God asks the question, Can a leper change its spots with the Ethiopian skin? No. He says, So neither can you do good that are accustomed to do evil. The lesson is, once we've set our foot on the pathway of evil, we can't of ourselves turn back. We are caught in a hopeless cycle of sin. The moment we choose to do evil, we have set ourselves on the course of sin. And it is impossible for us to turn around of our own power, and of our own will, as it is for the leopard to change his spots with the Ethiopian his skin. That's the lesson. But it's not that we were born this way, but it's, it was a process of the mind. And that mind has to be renewed, it has to be changed, it has to learn to think differently. We had learned to think in a certain way, and it was that way of thinking that led us into sin and that kept us in sin. It was a way of thought. We looked at the world through the eyes of another. We call him the devil. We let that mind be in us, which was in him. We saw things according to his mind, his way. And repentance is the change of that mind. It's learning not to think like the devil, but to think like God. And he's given us his word to transform our mind. To tell us and show us how he sees the world. How he sees us. That we might transform our mind according to that word. Learn to think as he thinks. Learn to act as he acts. See, repentance is transformation of the mind. And when the mind is transformed, the whole person is transformed. Notice what we read in Titus chapter 1, verse 15. This same lesson is taught by the Apostle Paul in these words. He says, unto the pure, or saint, all things are pure. Right? Unto one whose mind is innocent, all things are pure. Correct? How many of us have been there? All of us have been there at one time as children We had pure minds, and to us all things were pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is what? Nothing pure. The whole mind is corrupted, and we might think of ourselves, well, yeah, I'm partly good. I'm not so bad. But what does the word of God say? Once the mind is defiled by one thought that has been cherished and acted out in the life, Defilement is a result, and the result is that nothing in the life is pure after that. But even their mind and conscience is defiled, you see. The source of the actions has been defiled. It's as if we relied upon a spring of water for our life. What will happen if you poison that spring? Will any amount of water that comes out of it be clean? No. Everything that proceeds out of that spring will be polluted by the poison. And the mind is the spring. In Proverbs we're told to guard the heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues, the Hebrew word for spring, of life. Once it's defiled, everything that proceeds out of it is defiled. And so you see the importance of repentance. Repentance is God's means of transforming the heart and mind, bringing it back to likeness with his own. We know that in the beginning God made Adam and Eve in his image and after his likeness. But that likeness was deformed, wasn't it? It was altered by sin. And so it has been with all of us As Romans 3.23 teaches us. For all have sinned, and the result, we come short of the glory of God. We fail to represent him. Here's another statement. Proverbs 14, verse 12 and 16.25, both say essentially the same thing. Save one word. We are told there is a way that seemeth right unto whom unto a man. But what are we told about that way? It's the way of death, isn't it? There is a way that seems right to us. It's the way of that defiled mind, that corrupted mind. We think it's right, but the end of that way is death. You see, repentance is needed. There's a way that seems right to us. We think it's right, it seems right. But the problem is, it's coming from a polluted spring. God wants to cleanse that spring. And it's a process-by-process thing. It's a moment-by-moment thing. Job, under inspiration, wrote, Hast thou eyes of flesh, or seest thou as a man seeth? You know there's a way man sees. They were called eyes of flesh. This is poetic speech. We have eyes of flesh, don't we? We think and see as a man seeth. But we've learned about that way, haven't we? God wants to anoint our eyes with the heavenly eye salve. He wants to clean our vision. And repentance is his means of doing this. It's not a one time thing for us, it's something that must daily occur in the life if we are to be saved and redeemed in the end one last statement here 2 Timothy 2:25 2. second 2 Timothy 2:25 2. the apostle Paul writes in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves if peradventure excuse me if god peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Now, the Apostle Paul is here speaking of the qualifications of leaders in the church. These are one of the qualifications, or this, I should say, is one of the qualifications. He must be a man who in meekness can instruct those that oppose them, those that differ with them in opinion and views, able to instruct them if God, per adventure, per chance, will give them repentance. Notice again, it's a gift that God gives to us that we might what? This is the definition. Repentance is here defined as acknowledging the truth. That's really what repentance is. That's how we change our mind, you see. Repentance is a feeling, yes, but that feeling is produced by the change of mind. When your mind is changed towards sin, it now becomes repugnant to you, and there are feelings in your heart. There's grief and sorrow for what you've done. It's because your mind is now changed about that. That's repentance. And it's when we acknowledge the truth that repentance works its good work in the heart. Romans chapter two verse four tells us of the power that works in the heart to bring about this work. Paul says that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's as if we were drawn. It's goodness, and not only any goodness, but God's goodness that leads us and draws us to repentance when we see how good he has been and how we have slighted that goodness, it is that that breaks the heart that leads us to change our mind. We now begin to see that that thing that we rejoiced in, that thing that gave us so much pleasure, and now it grieves us. It pains us at heart because we see what it has done to God. Our mind has changed we now see that it was my sin that caused Christ to die upon the cross. It was not just any man's sin. It was mine. And it's that goodness of God in sending His only begotten Son that I might be saved that breaks the heart, changes my mind toward Him. This is repentance. And notice... Tying in with this Revelation 3.19 the message to the church of Laodicea. God says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and what? Repent. God gives us rebuke out of love. He sends the truth to rebuke us. He sent his son into the world to be the light of the world to rebuke the sin and wickedness of this world. And all who received him experienced repentance. Their minds and hearts were changed toward God. They received the Spirit of God in place of the Spirit of this world. You see, God loved the world. That's why he sent his Son. And God says, I chasten those I love. Part of the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ was sent to this world was to chasten us, to give us a true knowledge of what sin is and a true knowledge of what righteousness is, to change our mind, that we might think and believe as God does and view sin in its right, or I should say, in its true light. Paul wrote in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, regarding this chastening. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Right? When it comes, when the rebuke comes, it's not pleasant at the moment. But notice the result. But grievous, right? It's painful when the rebuke comes. Nevertheless, he said, afterward, that afterthought, that repentance, but afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. <clears throat> That's repentance, you see. When the rebuke comes, it's not a pleasant thing, it's painful. But it's afterward, when the Spirit is working on the heart and repentance is being worked in the mind and heart, when transform, transformation is taking place. God is changing our mind toward what we've done. It's the work of His Spirit. And it works and yields the peaceable fruit of what? Of righteousness, of right doing. God, through you, will build a righteous character. You will yield the fruit of His Spirit that we read of in Galatians chapter 5. The fruits of the Spirit will be wrought out in our lives. All this is the product of repentance. Again, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah writes in chapter 55 and verses 7 through 9, "'Let the wicked forsake his way "'and the unrighteous man his thoughts. "'For my thoughts are not your thoughts. "'Neither are your ways my ways,' saith the Lord." For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see what the wicked is to do, what God is calling us to do? Change your thoughts. I want to give you my thoughts. I want your thoughts to be my thoughts. Your ways to be my ways. And the way that this is done is repentance. All these are descriptions given us by inspiration of repentance. Paul states it in this beautiful language Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, there's a key word there, one that I didn't highlight. We are to let Christ's what be in us? His mind. What is a mind but the way you think? Right? Jesus wants to change the way we think and give us his mind so we can think as he thinks. We can view righteousness as he sees it. And we can view sin as he sees it. But there's another key word there. One upon which everything hinges. It's the first word. Let. It's our choice. We have to let it. God won't force it upon you. God won't compel you to receive his mind. You must choose to receive it. And not just once. That word let is ongoing. Continue to let. We must continue to allow the mind of Christ into our mind, into our heart to transform us it must be an ongoing thing daily if we are to see the world as he sees it if we are to love one another as he has loved us we must have that mind of christ 2 corinthians chapter 7 verses 9 through 10 we're getting close to the end The Apostle Paul writes of the most powerful language in the New Testament. He says, Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to what? Repentance. He says, I rejoice, not because you grieved, but because your grief was unto repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner. Did you know that there is godly sorrow? There sure is one on which all heaven rejoices. The angels sing. Our Lord and Savior Jesus and the Father sing and rejoice at this sorrow because it does a good work, as we will see. For he continues in verse 10, Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, salvation being the end of that work. It worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Did you know that there is a repentance to be repented of? Every one of us have changed our mind by sin. There is a repentance to be repented of, but there is a repentance not to be repented of. There's a mind we are to receive never to be changed. You see, the sorrow of this world, the repentance of this world, worketh death. That is the repentance to be repented of. But there is a sorrow that works godly repentance in the life. Change of heart, change of life that needeth not to be repented of and in which all heaven rejoices. I want to end with a couple statements here. This is taken again from the Review and Herald of June 8th, 1911. Speaking of the very verses that we've read, the author makes these comments. She says, this is genuine repentance. She's saying, what we just read is genuine repentance, this sorrow after a godly manner. She continues, it, this repentance will lead to a transformation in the life. It is the absence of this true sorrow for sin that makes many conversions superficial. Did you catch that? It is an absence of true repentance that is really the cause of so many superficial professions in this world, or professors of Christianity. It's the reason that the words and the actions don't match. It's because there has not been a thorough work of repentance in the life. This godly sorrow has not done its work. The author continues. Reformations are not made in the life. Did you know that we're still in the Reformation? We sure are. But when sin is viewed in the light of the law of God and its true character is realized, it will be put away from the heart and life. When sin is viewed how? In the light of the law of God. What is the law of God? It's a transcript of his character. When it's viewed as he views it, according to his mind, when we begin to see sin as God sees it, then it is that the transformation takes place in the life. Reformation takes place. We begin to amend our ways by the grace and spirit of God. A transformation is wrought in the life. And thus we see that which the Apostle Paul spoke in Romans chapter 7, verse 13. Speaking of this struggle that every human being has, he says, Was then that which is good, speaking of the law, Was that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, referring to the law, that sin, by the commandment, might become exceeding sinful. Why was the law given? To teach us the exceeding sinfulness of sin that we might see it as God sees it. God did not give his law, that simply we might sorrow, but that a transformation might take place in the life, that that man's mind might change in regard to sin and righteousness. You see, the law was not made death to us, but the means of bringing us back to life by the Spirit of Him who so loved us that He gave His only begotten Son. You see, God gave us a law to be that mirror to reflect to us His character. And He sent His Son to be the living evidence of that, the living testimony to all the on looking universe as to how God sees sin. And how he sees righteousness. He wants that mind to be in us. And I want to end with this thought taken from the book Steps to Christ, page 23. In the second paragraph, the author says, Repentance includes sorrow for sin and a turning away from it. Stop there for a moment. Two things which really sum up all that we've been discussing. Repentance is that sorrow, that pain of heart, caused by the change of the mind. And it is acquiescing to that change, allowing God to work out that will in us that turns us from... It's God working in us, both to will and to do of His good pleasure... That is repentance. It includes that sorrow, but it also includes a turning away from it. And we can know whenever true repentance is at work in a person's life, when you see a turning away from sin. There will be that confession of sin. There will be that heartfelt sorrow and grief over the wrong. But there will be an amending of the life, just as you see in King David. And many others in the Bible. And we have examples of what is called false repentance. Where there was confession of the lips, but there was no change of heart, no change of life. The author continues, Until we turn away from it in heart, there will be no real change in the life. You see, God wants us not simply to turn away from sin in word, but in deed. And he's given repentance to bring that to pass. So today, as we go forth, I want us to go forth with a new vision of what repentance is and what it means. I want want us to go forth with a changed mind in regard to sin. And if it's your desire to ask the Lord to give you that clearer vision, to give you that mind, to help you see sin as He sees it in all its nature, not just sin in others, but the sin in our own lives, then I want to invite you to kneel with me in a word of prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, I thank thee that thou hast so loved us, that thou hast not left us in sin, that thou wast not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Father, I thank thee for the gift of repentance, and I want to accept that gift today. I want my mind to be changed in regard to sin. I want to see the sin in my own life. As thou dost see it. Help me, Father, to feel about it as you feel about it. And I pray, give me strength to act out thy will and purpose, to turn away from the sin in my life, to make that change. Renew my heart and mind in likeness to thine own, that I might reflect thy goodness thy greatness to all who behold. Father, I want to reflect the glory of my Lord and Savior Jesus. And I know that every heart here desires the same. And Father, I lift them up to thee now. And I pray that thou wilt answer the prayer of every sincere heart and honest heart to give us that mind and to grant unto us that power that we lack in our lives to turn away from the sin. I bless thee, and I thank thee, O Lord. And all of these things we ask and give thee thanks for, in the name of thy Son, Jesus. Amen. May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make His face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. And may the Lord lift up His countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions.